Welcome to Central Assembly of God's podcast. We pray this message speaks to you. All right, you can turn your Bible to 2 Samuel chapter 11. I'll get there in just a few minutes. Like I mentioned earlier, I thought the Lord was going to have me teach or preach specifically on prayer or specifically on fasting, getting us ready uh, for the week of declare. But I actually believe that the Lord is giving this body a prophetic warning. It's the last thing I thought I'd preach on in the beginning of this year, but he showed it to me pretty clear. In fact, I didn't even, I didn't realize that that what it was until last night I was praying and he said, no, this is actually a prophetic warning for the body of Christ here. I feel like he's saying very simply, but very clearly, it is time to get right with God. It's time to get right with God. You might be sitting there thinking, well, my life is right with God. I pray every day and I read every day. Listen, that statement can mean different things to different people. There are some people sitting here today that need to get right with God for the very first time. You've been walking in your sins your whole life. You've been walking in rebellion toward God. And today's the day that you get right with him by receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Some of you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You've turned away from him maybe months, maybe weeks, maybe years ago, and you're living in sin and you're living in rebellion. So though you're still his child, you're walking away from him. And God's saying, today is a day of reconciliation. Today is a day to get right with God. There are some of you that, once again, you know you're forgiven. You're a child of God. Maybe you're not stuck in any sin or bad habit, but you've just lost your passion. You're sitting idle spiritually. You're spiritually inactive. You're spiritually indifferent toward what God wants to do. And he's saying today is a day of reconciliation. Today is a day of getting right with God. And some of you, you might be walking in passion and hearing the voice of the Lord, but still you want clarity for this year, right? You want to hear the the precise word that God has over your life for this year. He's saying today you can get that right. You can step on that track of hearing the voice of the Lord correctly for 2017. I believe that third area, that idleness, is really what he's warning us about. You know, I preached about uh, God giving each one of us a prophetic destiny, a God-spoken future on Christmas morning. How many of you were here Christmas morning? All right, so I don't have to repeat myself on that. The short story is, is this. Just as Jesus had God-breathed plans over him, so do you. Does that make sense? So God has spoken before you were ever born, before you were ever formed in your mother's womb. God had a prophetic destiny in mind for you. He dreamt about you before you ever had your first dream. What we need to catch here is this. You have a role to play in that. On Christmas morning, we spoke forth the destiny and what God wants to do. Today, I feel like he's warning us is this. We cannot sit idle and see God's prophetic destiny come forward in our life, not as an individual or as a church. We must have action. We must have intentionality. We must have pursuit toward God. Or we'll have all of these dreams, all of these prophetic words, all of this destiny sitting over us, and frustration is going to well up. I talked a little bit about this on Wednesday night. You'll wonder why you're so frustrated, why you're so unfulfilled. And then you'll realize one day God's dreams weren't fulfilled in my life, so I wasn't fulfilled in my life. And he wants to fulfill those things in your life, but it takes pursuit of him. That's what we're doing in Declare. We're saying, I'm taking a season of time, a defined season of time. 
I know many people from the church have already fasted, preparing for declare. We're taking a season of time to set aside, to consecrate ourselves, to pursue him again, more intentionally, more passionately than we did before, because we want to see God's promises come to pass in our lives. And that's the, the, the thing. It didn't strike fear, but there's a reality, a harsh reality, that there are many people in the Christian church that are missing God's destiny for their life because they're sitting indifferent toward the Lord. Does that make sense? You might not be thinking, well, I don't, I don't sin. I'm not like walking on bad paths. No, it's just being idle toward the Lord. It's not actually advancing in the kingdom and advancing in your relationship with him, saying, God, I believe there is more. And I want you to see this in 2 Samuel chapter 11. If you haven't grown up in church, you might not know a lot about David's life, so I just want to share a quick background. Many years before David became the king, a prophet came and anointed David to be the future king of Israel. He was a young shepherd. He spent a lot of time in the field singing to the Lord and praying, playing instruments. He continued as a shepherd, but he was actually invited into King Saul's, he was the current king at that time, into his presence to play the harp. How many of you remember this? King Saul's being tormented by a demon. He says, I need somebody that's going to play an instrument to help me. David was now invited into the presence of the king. Fast forward a little bit. I'm sure you've heard of David and Goliath, whether you've been raised in church or not. So now David had the opportunity to slay, uh, slay Goliath, and David's fame rose dramatically in Israel. Saul gets jealous of David, actually tries to kill the current king, actually tries to kill the future king a few different times. And David continues to be a man after God's own heart, says in the word, a man uh, with honor as well. In fact, he had, he had opportunities to kill King Saul, but he honored him as the Lord's chosen one. As king, when, once David became king, he had many military victories. He was walking in God's promises, walking in God's destiny for his life. And then we show up at 2 Samuel chapter 11. Starting at verse 1, it says, In the spring of the year, I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. Joab was David's nephew. And he was also the commander of David's army. So it's not odd that, that he sent Joab out. He's the commander. But it said in the spring of the year when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab. It says they destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Reba. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. The Lord took me to these verses. Uh, I've read it before, but he just took, took it to me just within this past week. If we look at these verses here, something occurred each year. Something occurred each spring. It was when kings, the New Living Translation says, normally went out to war. There was a normal cycle of the responsibility of a king in the season of a year. And normally in the springtime, his responsibility was to go to war. Now, I don't know why, I don't know what happened, but something happened in David's life that caused him to not go. So when it was normal for a king to press in, to get out of his palace, to get out of his comfort zone, to get out of all of the riches of the kingdom, it was normal. It was the expected time for a king to step forward and go in to battle. But it says here, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. You know, I believe that there's also a normal pattern in the Christian's life. 
right? I believe there's a normal pattern of pressing into him. I believe there's a normal pattern of going to war and a normal pattern of resting. I believe there's times for battle, right? And there's times for recovery. But I believe this. I believe that in both of those seasons, there's still advancement, no matter what. Sometimes you think that if you're in war, then you're advancing, but if you're at rest, you're not. No, when you're at rest, you're getting filled up. You're still spending time in prayer. You're still fasting. You're still reading the word, and you're getting filled up for that time of war. Now, here in the Old Testament, we see an actual physical war going on. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about spiritual warfare. How do we do that? It's through prayer. It's through fasting. It's through getting fresh revelation from God's word. It's through being together to build one another up, to minister to each other. And I feel like there are seasons that we miss as Christians where God's saying, it's time to go to battle. In fact, I believe every January is a time for war. They say, well, we just came off of holiday and all the big eating and this and that. No, I believe the beginning of this year is time for spiritual warfare. I believe it's a time for intensified prayer. I believe it's a time for fasting. I believe it's a time to ask the fire of God to come upon you, to tear out and rip out and refine everything that does not belong in your life. I said it before, what we're doing is we're sowing seed into the ground of our life that will reap harvest the rest of the year. So if we say, God, it's the beginning of a new year, I'm going to let all this other stuff continue to grow up in me. Now I'll pray a little bit and I'll do this or that. I believe that's where the warning is. Because I believe God wants to do unique things through this church body this year. And I believe God wants, obviously, to do new things in you, to take you to new levels, to give you new breakthroughs, things that you've never seen in your life before. But if we don't take time to ask God's fire to come and refine us and remove those things, and that we can hear his voice through prayer and fasting, specifically and clear, I believe that we'll miss some of the things that God has for us. We really just don't, we don't want to be stuck on the battlefield when we should be getting rest. And we don't want to get stuck in the palace when we should be at war. We need to discern what season God has us in. When we think about the kingdom, you're either advancing toward God or you're retreating. Does that make sense? Like you can't sit on the fence between, uh, between pursuit and retreat and say everything's fine. Do you know that? You can't, sit, you can't sit on that fence and say, my life's good. I'm doing good. We're doing fine. You're either advancing toward God or you're retreating from him. You can't walk, you can't walk a static life with God. And I believe he's just calling our church body to pursue him. Pursue him during this time. Go to battle against your flesh by not eating for a specific amount of time to say, oh, that's why we fast. You know, that's the greatest hunger. One of the greatest desires of our life is the next meal. So it's actually a form of spiritual warfare to not eat, but to pray instead. To, to, to tell your flesh, you're not in charge. My spirit is in charge. That's what fasting is. It's a killing of your flesh. You're not going to die. You're not going to starve to death. People have fasted for 40 days and more. In fact, they get stronger as time goes on because their spirit is in charge. Praying is spiritual warfare. Fasting is spiritual warfare. So we're warring against the desires of our flesh. We're warring against the enemy that says this is going to be your worst year. Does that make sense? You're warring against the enemy of your soul by getting clear thoughts and a clear picture of what God wants to do in your life this year. 
And you're warring against any unclarity that you still need from God to lead you during this year. I received a prophetic word uh, from somebody that I do believe is for this season on December 20th, and I want to read it to you. It says, I wanted to share what the Holy Spirit has been laying on my heart these last few days. He began to show me that there is sickness quickly going across the land today. This sickness is comprised of illness, mental anguish, oppression, depression, stress, heartaches, and losses, financial matters, anything that takes away their joy of the Lord, especially in this season. He also showed me that our church family at Central Assembly is sick in many different areas. Although undetected, their joy is only on the surface and is not heartfelt in many. This is not a negative word. This is a word. Listen, when you think of a warning from God, he's not mad at you, right? He's not swinging a bat over you saying, I'm about to get you. He's pointing something out so his destiny can be fulfilled in our lives. Since the Holy Spirit began to tell me that God is going to be sending a fresh anointing of healing to our church to heal, set the captives free, restore their joy and love for the Lord. Central Assembly will soon become known to many in the surrounding communities as a church set aside for the ministry of healing. This will soon become evident by the boldness many will have to pray and believe that God is healing and setting the captives free, both in our sanctuary and out in the streets. Over the next month, as we pray seek and fa uh, fast, seek God for direction. The Holy Spirit will speak to many about this anointing he is placing in their heart. Who, when, where, what will only be up to the sons and the daughters as they open their hearts to God for a deeper walk and to receive what the Spirit is pouring into their lives. How many of you want to see that happen? I want to see that happen in my own personal life, in our church family. I want to see amazing things happen. I just want to be stripped of everything that's of my flesh. I want to be set right with him. And I'm moving on to verse two now. Late one afternoon, after his midday rest, David gets up from bed. He walks on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam, and the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her, and when she came to the palace, he slept with her. She had just completed the purification rites uh, after having her menstrual period. Then she returned home. Later, when Bathsheba discovered she was pregnant, she sent a message to David saying, I'm pregnant. Now, what we see here in this moment of David's life is a godly king, an excellent warrior, right? A man of devotion, a man of honor, getting caught up in temptation. Why? It's because he chose to stay in the palace instead of going to war. So this is, this is what I believe is the prophetic warning for our church, is you might not be caught in sin or habits that are ungodly. The warning is, is this, get out of the palace and get into war so you do not get caught up in temptation. The, the first mistake David made was not sleeping with somebody else's wife. The first mistake he made was staying in the palace when he should have been at war. And declare is a week of war. It's a week of spiritual warfare. I believe if you stay in the palace, instead of going out to war, what you end up doing is eating fruit that you were never meant to consume. How many of you know there were two trees in the garden, right? Was the palace a bad place? 
Absolutely not. But it was the wrong place for that season in David's life. So instead of going out to war, he took the comfortable path. Something became inactive or indifferent in his life that led him to this. Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, meaning the most important thing you can do is to guard your heart because out of that is the wellspring of life. I believe the most important thing you can do to guard your heart is to fast and to pray, to get in his word, to fast and to pray. You're putting up that guard around your heart so you can hear the voice of the Lord. And when other voices come in to lie to you, to say, this is what you're supposed to be doing. This isn't going to happen in your life. Whatever it is, you can say, no, my heart is guarded. My mind is guarded. My mind is set on things above and I'm hearing the voice of the Lord. But David actually digresses from the Lord instead of advancing to the Lord. He sidesteps his responsibility as a king. In verse 6 now, it says, David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent him to David. Uriah comes home. He tells Uriah, go home and relax. What's he doing? He's telling him, go home and do the same thing that I've been doing. Step out of war and go into your comfort zone. And what he wanted him to do is go home and sleep with his wife so he could cover his mistake. But it says in verse 9, Uriah didn't go home. He slept that night at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard. Why? Because Uriah understood the season he was in. And he knew this isn't the season to do that. There will be a season of rest and recuperation, but this is a season of warfare. And out of his honor for his fellow soldiers, out of his honor for what he was called to do, he didn't go home. In fact, David heard that Uriah didn't go home. He's like, what's the matter? Why didn't you go home? Uriah said, the ark and the armies of Israel and Judah are living in tents, and Joab and my master's men are camping in the open fields. How could I go home to wine and dine and sleep with my wife? I swear that I would never do such a thing. David tries it again. And in the second half of verse 13, it says, again, he slept at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard. Uriah understood it was a season of warfare, but not just understanding it, he was focused. Does that make sense? He was laser sharp focused. He was offered the, the king's food, the king's wine, and to visit his wife while he was away at war. He was on a field trip. He was, he was allowed to have a vacation from his war, but he was so laser sharp focused, he said, no, I won't do it. He didn't visit with his own wife, but he slept on the palace doors. He knew it was a time for war. Watch what David does. Because of his inactivity, because of his idleness of staying in the palace, he gets another man's wife pregnant. And now he becomes very active, but he becomes active against the Lord instead of for the Lord. I believe that's another warning for my life, for all of our lives. If we are idle toward the Lord, we will succumb to temptation eventually. And we'll become active, but we'll become active walking away from the Lord because we're going to start covering up what we have done. It says in verse 14, the next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and gave it to Uriah to deliver. The letter instructed Joab, station Uriah in the front lines where the battle is fiercest, then pull back so that he will be killed. It goes on in the following verses to actually explain how that happened. The armies pulled back, they got close to the wall, and Uriah was killed. But in verse 17, it says that several other Israelite uh, military were also killed. 
And the Lord's just showing me, listen, our idleness doesn't affect just us, especially us parents. When we're standing idle toward the Lord, indifferent toward the Lord, it affects more than just you. It affects you, it affects your spouse, and it affects your children. Think about this. We ask for a great move of God to come, right? We expect a great move of God. But I guarantee this. If we are people of prayer, fasting in his word, a great move of God is guaranteed to come. Because we're in position. If you're walking on fire for God, then the fire of God follows you. If you're filled with his kingdom, his kingdom goes where you go. So we have this unique opportunity at the beginning of the year to simply position ourselves to get right with God, to walk in his grace, walk in his empowerment, so that his promises are fulfilled in our lives. You all right? Verse 26. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. When the period of mourning was over, David sent for her and brought her to the palace, and she became one of his wives. She gave birth to a son, but the Lord was displeased with what David had done. I understand the grace of God and his forgiveness and that his mercies are new every morning. I understand he's not disappointed in me. I understand his forgiveness isn't based on my actions, it's based on the blood of God. But I think we also have to understand the severity of our sin. I think we have to understand the seriousness of walking idle before the Lord. I think there's a mixture of actually understanding, right? That grace and forgiveness and compassion mixed in with the Lord's need to correct us and get us back on track is not so we feel like we're in trouble. It's for our best intention. It's because God sees promise and destiny over your life. So he's saying, no more. He's saying, take this time in the beginning of the year. Get right with me so we can get the things done that I'm calling you to do so you can fulfill the assignments that he has dreamt of you about your life before you were ever even conceived. These ideas that God had in your life that they would come to pass. That's why he picks us up off of a wrong path or he picks us up when we're laying on the ground not doing anything with him and he pushes us forward. He'll never leave us. He'll never fail us. He'll never forsake us. But we have a choice whether we're going to go into battle or whether we're going to stay in the palace. And we see here in chapter 12, because of God's love for David, because God knew what he was calling David to accomplish, he sends the prophet Nathan to actually rebuke David. For the sake of time, I won't read through all of those verses. I want to pick up right at verse 10. He says, from this time on, your family will live by the sword because you have despised me by taking Uriah's wife to be your own. This is what the Lord says, because of what you have done, I will cause <clears throat> your own household to rebel against you. So how many of you know, God still loved David, right? God still had destiny for David, but there were consequences based on him not leaving the palace when he should have. I will give your wives to another man before your very eyes, and he will go to bed with them in public view. You did it in secret, but I will make this happen to you openly in the sight of all Israel. See, at some point, David quieted himself enough to receive that rebuke, to receive that instruction from the prophet Nathan. 
And in verse 13, it says, then David confessed to Nathan. Something hit in his heart. It was a day of reconciliation, right? It was a wake-up call to David saying, I have something so much larger and you're operating here. You should be out slaying the enemies of God and yet you're resting in a palace. And it says that David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Do you know that's who we ultimately sin against? It wasn't, it wasn't just a sin against Bathsheba or Uriah. He said, I've sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, now watch this. There's confession. There's repentance in David's heart. And Nathan said, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you. Come on. This is the old covenant. This is before the blood of Jesus. It says, you have been forgiven and you won't die for this. But nevertheless, these are the consequences. Because you've shown utter contempt for the word of the Lord by doing this, your child will die. So there's grace and there's forgiveness, but there's also discipline and there's consequences because of our action. It says, after Nathan returned home, the Lord sent a deadly illness to the child of David and Uriah's wife. But in verse 16, it says, David begged God to spare his life and he went without food. Some of your translations say that he fasted all night on the bare ground. In fact, if you turn to Psalm chapter 51, this is a psalm that was believed to be written by David during this time. So what's David doing? David realizes that he's been idle with the Lord. David realizes that there's been activity. He's not pursuing or making advancement to God. So because of that, he falls into temptation. He tries covering it up. But in that moment of reconciling back to God, he realizes forgiveness is mine. There's confession, there's repentance through prayer and fasting. In fact, if you see some of these verses here, in verse 1, it says, Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. You know, he didn't go into a closet and beat himself up over his mistakes. Are you following me? Because of your unfailing love, have mercy. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sin. He wasn't trying to do something righteous to make himself right. He was saying, I failed you. I stayed in the palace instead of going to war. I've committed adultery. But because of your unfailing love, because of your mercy and your grace, I receive your forgiveness. He says, against you and you alone, I've sinned. I've done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. But he goes on in verse 16. Actually, up in verse 12, he says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Honestly, if you are not walking in joy, you just need to ask the Lord, am I sitting idle right now? Am I sitting in the palace instead of being out there in war? And he will give you clarity. He'll tell you why you're not feeling that joy. He'll tell you why you're not having that satisfaction, that fulfillment in your life. And he will set your life on the right track. And a great place to start with that is fasting and prayer. In verse 16, he says, you do not desire a sacrifice or I would have offered one. Listen to this. This is the Old Testament. When what did they do to get forgiveness of sins? They offered sacrifices. But he says, David had revelation of a new covenant in the Old Covenant. He said, you don't desire a sacrifice. You don't want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O oh God. I guarantee you, you go without a meal for several days. 
you will come to a place of being broken in spirit. When you walk into a restaurant and you smell that and you go back to prayer and you're hungry and that thing is going and you're drinking water or just juice, but you're spending more intensified time in prayer in his word, there will be a brokenness there. And that's not a bad thing. We're so afraid to be broken. Everything in this country is about advancement and strength and money and position and power. God's saying, you want all those things in the kingdom? Step in through a broken spirit. Come to me like a child. And let him rebuild us. Verses 17 through 19. Basically, the elders of the palace were begging David, eat something, get your strength back. David refused. He continued fasting and praying. He found out in verse 19, the child is dead. What I feel like the Lord's saying to me is this, and to us as a church, is if we stay in the palace where it's nice, warm, and comfortable instead of being at war, then we are going to find ourselves praying and fasting out of defeat instead of praying for victory. The, the flip side of that is this, is if we cry out to God in prayer and fasting before we become idle, then we won't have to do it out of confession and repentance. We'll do it out of advancement. Does that make sense? Am I making that clear? You can fast and pray because you were idle in your life and you stepped out of his will, or you can fast and pray to step to the next level that God has for you. That's what I want to do as a church. Whether it starts today, after church, no more meals, prayer, fasting, whether it starts the Monday of Declare. So I want to say, I'm getting it right now, today, this morning. I'm getting it right. I'm confessing what I need to, repenting of what I need to, or just asking the Lord to give me a stronger commitment than ever before to hear the voice of the Lord in my life. And by the time Declare hits, we will be fasting and praying and declaring his word for advancement and progress, not just to catch up with where we should have been. Verses 20 through 22. It says, David gets up from the ground. This is right after his son dies. David gets up from the ground. He washes himself. He puts on lotions. He changes his clothes. And he goes to the tabernacle and worships the Lord. After that, he comes back and eats. His advisors are amazed, it says in verse 21. We don't understand. Adam, you can come up with your team. It says, while the child was still living, you wept and refused to eat. But now that the child is dead, you've stopped your mourning. David says, I fasted and I wept while the child was alive because I said, perhaps the Lord will be gracious to me and let the child live. But why should I fast when he's dead? Can I bring him back again? I will go to be with him one day, but he cannot return to me. See, I believe that David understood confession, he understood repentance, he understood prayer, and he understood fasting. And he knew there was nothing he could do to make up what he did. There's nothing he could do to go back and like rectify that situation. The answer and the solution was this, get right with God. That's it. So he said, I've cried out, I've done my fasting, I pursued God, and now that answer is done. It's final, I'm moving on. And I feel like God's saying that to you. Get up off the ground. Take your old clothes off and put your new clothes on. Let the water of the word wash over you. Let the lotion of the spirit come upon you and step forth into what he has for your life. Regardless of how idle you've been, regardless of how indifferent you've been, regardless of how long you've walked away from the Lord, he's saying today can be a day of reconciliation. And all it is is getting up off the ground. And saying, I turn back to you. I want to get this year right with you. 
And that warning turns into the greatest prophetic promise that could be placed in your life is to say wherever you are, you can take that next step with Jesus today. Right after, right after his son dies, he gets up, he washes himself, puts the lotion on and changes his clothes and he goes to worship. He didn't beat himself up for an hour. He didn't beat himself up for a day, a week, or a month. He didn't walk in guilt or condemnation. He went and he worshiped. Most of us think, oh, we've been rebuked. We've been corrected. Oh, now I'm walking and sin this, the lot. No, no, no. The Lord corrects you. It should, it should, the results should be rejoicing. Father, you loved me enough to correct me, to set my feet back on the path. I'm rejoicing. I'm coming into the tabernacle to worship you. I'm coming back into your presence because I've realized I've been forgiven of this sin and I'm moving forward. The result of this is wonderful. It says in verse 24, David comforted Bathsheba, his wife. He slept with her again and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And David named him Solomon. Solomon was the successor of David. Solomon was the wisest king to ever walk the face of this earth. Now follow me here. David, his first son, is birthed out of sin. It displeased the Lord because it was birthed out of, originally, being idle in the Lord. And the result of that was death. The same action with the same woman after confession and repentance. And the result of it is that the Lord loved the child, it says in verse 24, and that child goes to be the future king of Israel. Do you see what just turning back and pursuing God and advancing with God, the difference? One is death and one is authority and victory and life. One the Lord was displeased with and one the Lord loved. And watch what David does in verse 29. It says, David gathered the rest of the army and he went back to Rabbah and he fought against it and he captured it. David went to war. He actually realized where he was in the wrong and he got to it. It says, David removed the crown from the king's head and it was placed upon his own head. The crown was made of gold and set with gems that weighed 75 pounds. That's a heavy crown. <laughs> I'm going to be walking like this. It says, David took a vast amount of plunder from the city. The only way to receive plunder is to go to war. You don't get more crowns and you don't collect the plunder sitting in the palace. It only happens by going to war. And then, in verse 31, the second half, it says, then David and all of his army returned to Jerusalem for a season of rest. In Ephesians 5, which quotes something else, it says, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. I want you to stand at this time. I just want you to bow your head and close your eyes with me. Now, I just want to ask a very, very simple question, and that question is this. Do you need to get right with God for the very first time? So you've realized either today or over the past several weeks or whatever it's been, 
that you have been walking against the ways of God. And because of that, you've never actually asked Jesus to come into your life as Lord and Savior. So if you would die today and stand before God, you would not be confident that he would allow you to come into heaven and embrace you as a son or as a daughter. The second question that I would have is are you confident that you've been actually walking opposed to the ways of God even though you're a child of God? Do you believe that you've been walking in a different direction, walking against his leading and his guiding, walking against the ways that would produce his prophetic destiny in your life? If that is either of you today, without any other delay, I want you to raise your hand to me. I want you to raise it with confidence. I want you to look up at me with boldness. I do see hands coming up. I see more hands coming up. You've been walking against the Lord or you know you need to get right with him for the very first time. Any other hands? There doesn't have to be any emotion in this at all. It's a commitment of your heart. I need to get right with God. Any other hands? I see it. Thank you. This is what I'm going to do. For those of you who are committing to Jesus for the very first time, we're all going to declare this prayer with you. We're going to welcome people into the kingdom. We're going to welcome people back onto their prophetic destiny. Then we're going to give you an opportunity at the end of this prayer just to come forward as a church body and commit to take this season to go to war with the Father. Will you repeat this with me? God, today I confess that I've sinned against you and that I need a Savior. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of my sins and that he was raised from the dead so that I will have new life in him. I now surrender my life to Jesus making him my Lord. And I receive Jesus as my Savior. I believe I am now a child of God, a new creation, reborn spiritually into the eternal kingdom of God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to check us out on the web at centralconnect.org.